Hey, Meadow Ranch, how we doing? Oh, man. It is so good to be with you guys today. Did y'all have a good one? All right. Thanks, Ben. Oh, man, that's my friend Ben. You know him? Man, he's pretty good, huh? He's a pretty good guy. All right, anyways. Oh, man, I told you guys that this place is near and dear to my heart, that I got a lot of history here. Um, and and I want to get into that a little bit deeper with you, with you guys tonight. But um, if you remember where we left off in the story, you've got Judah basically ransacked by the Babylonians. And we're going to read a piece of scripture. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can flip open to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read a few more verses in there. Because the Babylonians didn't just come and, and ransack the city, but they took some things. We talked about the articles that they took. And, and they took God's sacred, holy articles and they placed them next to pagan articles in King Nebuchadnezzar's little throne room. But they took other things as well. But before we get into that, uh, I just want to tell you about my first week here at Hume Lake Christian Camps, 2005. I was 20 years old. I'd been walking with Jesus for like a whopping six months. And for whatever reason, the people at Hume Lake decided that it was a really, really good idea to give me a job here. And I was very excited. I was very excited. I grew up coming to this camp, and I grew up knowing a lot of things about Jesus, but I didn't grow up knowing Jesus. Those are two different things. We'll talk about that in greater detail. But I know that I needed to serve God. I still know that in my being, and so I applied to Hume Lake Christian Camps because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to, to, to use my one life to hopefully impact others. And I, I thought, what a great way to spend a summer. And so I come up here knowing nobody. And I'm a bit of an extrovert. I like people around me. I like to know people. I like to know their stories, where they're from, their favorite ice cream flavors or milkshake flavors. Um, I like to know things about people, and I really need that circle. I need that community. And I get up to Hume Lake Christian Camps, and I'm I'm in a trailer with seven other dudes. Um, But the job that I had, we would go out and we would counsel for the week. And so we hardly ever saw each other, uh, except for on our half day off before we got our next assignment. And so uh, it was like three days into camp and this guy that I had just met in our little, you know, grove of trailers out in the middle of the forest goes, hey, do you want to bike the loop? And I'm like, wait, someone's inviting me to do something with them. Wow. My little eager heart, desperate for relationship, is like, I don't care what the loop is and how much we have to bike. I will crawl the loop. I just want to do something with somebody. I was so in need of friendship that I was willing to say yes to any invitation. He says, you want to bike the loop? And I'm thinking, yeah, I know what the loop is. I've been here for, you know, a couple summers and for a couple days. And so I'm thinking the loop is, is just, you know, the path around the lake. And I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've walked it. It looks kind of nice, kind of peaceful. And so I'm like, yeah, man, let's do that. What's your name? He's like, my name's John. And my name's Kevin. And he goes, all right, Kevin, well, let's meet at 530 in the morning. Uh, and I'm like, dude, John, um, 
I'm thinking to myself, but I don't want to ask questions because i got a brand new friend. His name's John. I've established that. And I also have established that John likes biking because he invited me to do this thing with him. And so I'm like, oh, okay, 5.30 in the morning. We don't start work till 9. Um, I was in maintenance that week, you know, cutting down trees, which was super manly. Um, and, uh, and so I'm like, all right, all right 5, 5.30 in the morning. That sounds good. And so that was it. Well, I didn't tell you this, but I didn't own a bike, but biking was super popular when you were on staff at Hume Lake Christian Camps, because as summer staff, you're not allowed to drive your cars around. Uh, and they didn't have electrical bikes when I was working here, because I was working here in 2005. That was a while ago. You all weren't even alive yet, most of you in this room. Um, but I borrowed a bike from my best friend back home named Garrett. It looked like this. There it is. That's a BMX bike. I saw no problem with this. Because look, all I got to do is get from my trailer to the dining hall, maybe a few times throughout the summer. So look at that, that, that works perfectly good, except for the fact that I'm six foot seven. So I load this into my car. I drive it up here. The first time I go to ride it, I realize that I can't sit down and pedal at the same time. So if I'm riding the BMX bike, I'm like this the entire time. All right. So, so my brand new friend, John says, all right, let's meet at 530. So I'm like, cool. All right. We show up. I ride that. I come wheeling out. I got this. I got a pair of basketball shorts. I got a real thin hoodie because at 530 in the morning in the mountains, it's a little chilly. And I got some Old Navy flip-flops that I bought for $1.99. John looks very different than I do when he shows up for the bike ride around the loop. He's got this bike that looks like it weighs but a few ounces. And it's got these real skinny little tires on it that looks like if you turn too sharp, you just go flying off the edge of a cliff. He has this suit on that is full spandex so that there's no resistance as he carves through the air. And then he's got this helmet on, this helmet that goes and comes to a point in the back with these big old goggles like this. And he looks at me. And I'm... At this point, I should have asked questions, but I was so desperate for an invitation to anything. I'm like, okay, maybe this is just how my new friend John gets dressed in the morning. I mean, honestly, he looked like an alien, but I didn't think that to ask any questions. And he looks at me up and down as if I'm the one that's oddly dressed, and he goes, are, are you ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, boy, I'm ready. And he goes, have you biked the loop before? I'm like, Yeah totally did it yesterday. And he's like, oh, well, okay. I see, I didn't lie. I, I biked the loop around the lake, but I should have I asked questions. But all right, so I was, we're going, and, and, I, and I'm riding, and he's on his, you know, space machine, and he's moving, and I'm standing, doing my BMX thing. And all of a sudden, we're, we're on a road that goes past the guard shack, and well, the path that I'm used to riding on is dirt, but we st- we stay on the, the road, and I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe my new friend John, he just knows a different route than I do, so I'm not going to ask any questions, because first off, like, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I'm a college athlete. I can be able to keep up with this guy that looks like an alien, all right? So, so he's just huffing along, and so am I, and I'm standing up around every turn, and all of a sudden, the hill starts to get real steep. You guys took a bus. You know. You drove down. I was driving up on my BMX bike while standing. And about probably about a mile or two in, my calves are screaming at me. They're saying, what are you doing? 
you should have asked questions. And I'm like, no, I'm desperate for connection. About five miles in, you probably saw this view, depending on which route you took. I turn over my right shoulder and I see that. That's Hume Lake. And what separates me from Hume Lake is like a thousand foot cliff. As I'm hugging on to the edge with this BMX bike and John, my new friend that loves me so much, looks back over his shoulder and he goes, you doing good? <laughs> Guys, I felt like my legs were going to fall off. And I'm like, yeah, I'm great. As I'm like weeping. <laughs> oh, so much fun. I love this. You're the best, John. I should have turned back, guys. I should have turned back. We get 13 miles in to this bike ride. 13 miles in. Look, I'm like sweating like I'd never sweat before. And like my legs, my legs are like Hulk. You know how Hulk, when he turns green and he tears through his pants... That's like me because my quads are like on fire and they're like three sizes bigger than they used to be. And John, he's been at the top at this crazy little town called Grants Grove. It's where the second biggest tree in the world is found. He's chilling. He's eating a banana. He's already strung up a hammock. He's just waiting for me to show up. And I'm just like, oh, with every paddle. Because remember, I haven't sat down in 13 miles and he looks at me and he goes, you never done the loop before, have you? And I'm like, no, no, I have not. Please forgive me. And he goes, it's okay, man. Look, you're going to really like this next part because we just went from like 5,200 feet in elevation to like 7,500 feet. And it's called the loop because, well, it's a loop. So now what we're going to do is just go down. And I'm like, oh, down I can do. But right now I need like a protein shake or something because I cannot move my legs. So I'm like, you go ahead. It's okay. I'll catch up. I'll get a doctor's note if I'm late for work. It's okay, John, man. You're the best. Please be my friend from here until Jesus comes back. And he goes, he goes, and I'm doing some stretches. And it's been about 10 minutes, and I'm like, okay, I got my second win. He said it's all downhill. This is going to be super fun. Remember, I got basketball shorts, a light hoodie, and $1.99 flip-flops from Old Navy. Okay? Okay. I don't know if you saw it, though. The BMX bike. The BMX bike is equipped with only one, count them, one handbrake. Yeah, that one has zero. Mine had this little tiny handbrake on the right-hand side. Okay, so here we go. I'm going downhill now because my new friend John says 13 miles. I'm going to love it. And I'm going downhill, and I'm pedaling, and I'm pedaling, and I get maybe like 10 yards, and then I don't have to pedal anymore because I don't know if you've ever gone really fast downhill. You don't have to really do anything. God created this world in such a way that there's this miraculous thing called gravity that just pulls things to the lowest point, and I'm on my way to the lowest point, okay? So I'm going like this, and I'm white-knuckling this BMX bike. I have never moved so fast on a two-wheeled object in my life, ever. I am screaming around turns, woo, like this, because you took the road. The road's like this, guys. Like, people... 
people take the road at like five miles an hour. I was behind one on the way here. And, and I was going like a lot faster than that. In fact, I passed probably about 20 cars on the way into Hume. I'm like, oh, Jesus, get me to Hume, please. I want to go to work so bad. I want to cut down trees. And then at one point... I see the alien in front of me. I can see the tip of his space helmet. And I'm like, there's my new friend, John. And I just go, right past him. And I'm like, John, I hate you. But I love you and Jesus, please still be my friend. And so I just go screaming past this guy. And then I'm going downhill some more. And I, I'm, I'm bobbing and weaving and bobbing and weaving. And I start to get the speed wobbles. Anybody ever got the speed wobbles before? It's so terrifying. You're on something with two wheels or four wheels, and all of a sudden you start to get the shakes. And I'm like, oh, this is where it's going to end right here. I'd seen videos of people falling. I don't want to be in a video. And so, so I do what only, only I could think of to do in this moment because I've already white-knuckled my, my handbrake, and it's doing nothing. There's steam coming off the back tire. And so I stand up. I stand up in my $1.99 flip-flop. And I do this, and I put my foot on the back tire. And I'm just, just screaming down this hill. I start to feel heat through my flip-flop as I'm losing layers of this rubber. Woo! I pull into Hume Lake. I pull into Hume Lake right by the grassy area where the Ponderosa Dining Hall is. And I take that bike that I borrowed from my best friend back home, and I go, ah! And I just throw it, and I lay down on the grass, and I prayed so hard. I said, Jesus, thank you so much for the gift that is today. If anyone ever asks me again to bike the loop, the answer is no. <laughs> Woo! I've never done it since. Never done it since. Wow. Wow. I tell you all that, A, because it's funny, but I tell you all that because, guys, we do some really, really, really foolish things to be accepted by other people. We do some really, really foolish things just because the world paints them to be shiny and attractive and we think we might earn some sort of status if we chase it with everything that we got. Me, my first week here at Hume Lakes, I was chasing, chasing friendship and some sort of connection. And what did it get me? A broken pair of $1.99 flip-flops and a near-death experience. Look, Daniel and his friends, we're going to read it right here, are carried into a foreign land. And they're being asked to go against what their God has called them to do. So let's read it. This is verse 3 of chapter 1. It says, Then the king ordered Ephineas, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. 
And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And at first glance, you look at that and you go, well, that doesn't sound like that bad of a deal. The Babylonian king seems to be performing fairly with these these young people from Judah. But the thing that he's asking them to do, and you probably caught it in the skit, but the thing that he's asking them to do is eat food and wine directly from the king's table. We talked about last night that God made a covenant with the people of Israel. They were going to be his people, and he was going to be their God. And within that covenant, God laid out his will for them, how they are to live out their dependence and their faithfulness towards God as he was faithful back to them. And because God knows best, he told them to refrain from certain items. Certain food objects were never to touch their lips. And if it was to touch their lips, it had to be prepared in a certain way. And so this food that was coming from Nebuchadnezzar's table to these young people from Judah was food that they could have no part of because the first portion of the food and the wine that were offered to them were first offered to pagan idols, which in a roundabout way puts an idol above God. And so these people from Judah, these young men that are going to be trained to do these things in this foreign land are now being asked to partake in this food that is unclean by their standards because God knows what's best. They're now at this crossroads where they have to decide, are they going to live with character or are they going to be comfortable? And my friends, we live in a world daily that causes us to make that choice. Are we going to pursue comfort or are we going to live a life that is filled with character? Verse 6, among those that were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. So now you've got these these people from Judah that have been taken into exile. They've been thrust into the king's court because they're good-looking and good at learning and well-spoken, and they seem like they're types of people that are just going to figure it out and rise so that they can serve this pagan king that they are now subject to. But that's not even enough. They're being offered food that is, that is sacrificed and given up to idols before it lands on their plate. And now the guy that's in charge of them that wants to make them strong and worthwhile renames them. He gives them Babylonian names. And when I think about that, I can't help but parallel that with what we go through as the world attempts to put labels on us. Just because of a preference that we have or something that we're naturally good at, all of a sudden these labels are placed on us, whether it's by others or, or, or by ourselves. See, myself, I grew up in a really small town. And once I got into high school, all of a sudden my hand-eye coordination started to work really well, and I got good at sports. And when you live in a small town and you're a three-sport athlete, people all of a sudden place labels on you. 
And because I am wired the way that I'm wired, I'm kind of like a golden retriever. I loved the labels. I, in, in some really crazy ways, the labels became my new God. I didn't necessarily make the sports my God. I made the, the labels, my God. I made the applause of other people, my God. I was the youngest by 15 years of a sister who was good at all sorts of things. And I'd spent my entire childhood trying to figure out how to measure up. And then all of a sudden, I figured it out when I got into high school. Sports is how I'm going to measure up. And I'm going to chase headlong and give everything I got so that everybody in my dinky little valley town would know my name. And you know what happened when everybody in my dinky little, little valley town knew my name because I could put a ball through a hoop? You know what happened? Nothing. It felt incredibly lonely. And I still felt as empty as I felt when nobody in my dinky little valley town knew my name because I was chasing after the wrong things. I gave the applause of people, the seat in my life that only God deserved to sit in. And it took a while, but eventually my eyes were open to how ridiculous that is. You guys, most of you have met my kids. Man, I love, love my kids, man. God has blessed me with a family that I certainly do not deserve and man, I love them so much. And, and when Gunner, my oldest, was three years old, um, my wife, she's a really incredible artist. She's good at a lot of things that I'm not good at. Uh, when he was three years old, I decided that it was a good idea to try him out on some watercolors and just let him have some fun with it. Watercolors clean up easy, so I thought this one's pretty much foolproof. And uh, I let Gunner paint his first ever picture. There it is right there. And so my dude's like three, maybe just turned four. And he paints this picture and he runs over, you know, all five foot eight of him. I'm just kidding. Um, he runs over and he looks at me and he goes, Daddy, his big old eyes, Daddy, what do you think I painted? And I'm like, oh, this is a scary game. <laughs> Daddy, what do you think I painted? And I said, um, Gunner, well, um, what? I think it's when we went to the beach. We went to the beach a couple months ago, and, and it was a great day, and there was a sunset. I was thinking that before the purple came from. And he goes, nah, Daddy, it's not the beach. Guess again. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, hey, Gunner. I'm, oh, I know. I know what it is. Gunner, Gunner, I know what it is. Uh, we went fishing last week. We went fishing, um, and, 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 and we caught that trout. And it was kind of rainbow color. It said some purple in it. No, nah, Daddy, it wasn't fishing. Guess again. And at this point, I'm starting to think, how many guesses do I get before I crush the heart of my little child, right? So uh, I guess about seven more times. He's resilient. Don't worry. I guess about seven more times. And then finally, I look at him and I go, Gunner, you're just going to have to tell Daddy what the picture is. And he goes, okay, Daddy. Last month, we went to Legoland, and we went, we went on that dinosaur roller coaster. It was me, you, and Opa, and we went on that roller coaster, and we came around those turns super fast, and we was like, woo! We had so much fun, and he goes, Dad, that was the best day, man, so I just thought I'd make a picture of it. So, so, 
I looked at my little boy. And I said, buddy, that's a really great picture. And it occurred to me in that moment, as I'm face to face with my little three-year-old child, it occurred to me in that moment, if you want to know what a masterpiece is, you ask the artist. The world can try and put on you whatever label. You can try and give yourself whatever identity you want to try and give yourself. It's never going to measure up. It's never going to stack up. If you want to know what your identity is meant to be from the time that you were knit together in your mother's womb, you ask the artist. You ask the sovereign God, the creator of all things that knows you better than you know yourself. And in Daniel's life, he clung to his God, even in circumstances that he didn't understand. He put aside his comfort to let his character shine through. Here's what it says in verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and then he asked the chief official for permission not to, to, to defile himself in this way. Resolved. He chose. He made a choice in this godless society to live for God above the things that he's being asked to live for, even if it might be costly to him. I want to be clear about something, that when it comes to following Jesus, being a Christian is different than any other religion in this world, my friends. Every other religion in this world is this. This is what you have to do to work your way to God. This is what you have to do to work your way to God. You have to be good enough. You have to say the right thing. You have to have the right kind of karma to earn your way to your desired outcome. It's all about performance. But following after Jesus, being a Christian, a little Christ, is different than any other religion this world has to offer. Because rather than it being, this is what I have to do to work my way to God, Christianity says this, this is what God has already done to work his way to us in and through the person of Jesus. Look, it's good news of great joy for all people. News is something that you receive and you choose to believe. And when you receive that good news of Jesus, it changes everything. It's no longer about performance. It's all about a relationship that's greater than anything that we have ever known and we will ever know. Look, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, is about Jesus with his disciples. And it's pretty early on in his ministry with them. He's teaching them all sorts of things, but mainly what he's teaching them is trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Over time, you will learn to trust me. Day by day, you will learn to trust me. And there's this one story where Jesus is teaching a multitude of people. The Bible tells us there's 5,000, but that was just the men. You could bet there's probably about 15 to 20,000 people on this hillside. And Jesus looks at his friends and he says this. This is what it says in John 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 5. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd toward, coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? <laughs> 20,000 people. Jesus looks at a normal dude, says, give me the answer. Verse 6 says this, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
My friends, in this world, there will be things that test you. You will be placed into situations and scenarios that are far beyond the reaches of your capability. And in those moments, Jesus beckons you. Trust me. You may not understand it all. Trust me. You may not have the answers. Trust me. This world doesn't make sense to you. Trust me. Live for me. Don't get caught up like a raccoon with a shiny object. Trust me. Focus on me. John 15 says, remain in me. And it says it 11 times. Why? Because we needed it 11 times. We really did. We need that reminder. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of these people to have a bite. Another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small loaves and two fish, but how far will this go among so many? He's a practical guy. He says, here's a sack lunch. This is going to feed what? Two? But here you go. He gives it to Jesus. The smallest action, my friends, is better than the greatest of intentions. I'll say that again. The smallest of actions is better than the greatest of intentions. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. It says about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves. I love this part. Gave thanks. (laughs) I don't know if you caught that. You've got Jesus the son of the almighty God, God in flesh. This little boy gives him his bag lunch. He's got 20,000 people to feed. He's got two fish and five loaves. He says, all right, go ahead and sit down. He takes this little bag lunch and he gives thanks. What does that communicate to us, my friends? It communicates to us that God cares very much about the small things in this world. He cares very much about the small things in this world. And let's face it, he's the God of the universe. Anything that takes place in this world, it's really small to him. Jesus gave thanks. If he gives thanks for the small things, don't you think we should too? Yeah. He starts to tear up this bread. He starts to distribute it. And the Bible says that Everybody ate until they had their fill. Then he sends out his 12 friends that he's trying to teach them. Trust me with a basket. And they pick up the leftovers. Everybody ate till they had their fill. And all 12 of his disciples are carrying this basket as a visual reminder that this person is like no other person that has ever walked this earth before. We can trust him in the midst of circumstances that we do not understand and that ultimately scare us. My friends, Jesus still multiplies the small things. Character that Daniel possesses in a world that directly opposes God, in a, in a community, in a country that directly opposes God. Daniel possesses this character, and it didn't just happen over a day. It was based on small decisions that over a long period of time equaled a life-changing outcome. That's how character is built, one day at a time, for a long period of time. Anybody could fake it for a season. But following after Jesus is one next decision after another, after another, after another. My friends, 
God, I told you at the beginning that God had a purpose. He had a will for everything that he did in the lives of these people from Judah and his chosen people underneath his old covenant. And because God operated then, he operates that way now. We have a new covenant because of the work of Jesus. It's all based about on Jesus, the fact that he died, rose, and gives us a gift that we certainly do not deserve and cannot earn. It's all about Jesus. But he desires for us to operate within his will. And some of you guys are like, oh, I know about that. I know about that. Because I pray for God to tell me all sorts of things like, or like, like what, what grade I'm going to get on my history exam, even though I wrote about great white sharks. I pray about that all the time. And I pray about like, um, 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 it, uh, which free agents are going to sign with which teams. Oh, I know about that. And, and oh, I also pray like which college I should go to or which job I should pursue or which person I'm going to marry. Those are all specific wills. That, that's... God's plan for your specific life. But what I'm talking about is God's general will that builds character as we follow after Jesus, as we say yes to Jesus and make him the Lord of our lives. The rest of our lives on this planet, the only goal we have is to become Jesus Jr., right? We're never going to get there. We're never going to be exactly what Jesus did. But we could try and be a little bit of Jesus Jr. as we live out, of, out the things that he calls us to live out as he models them for us, right? Here's God's general will for our lives. These are things that God, the creator of the universe, the lover of our souls, wants us to be involved with all the time. Let's throw them on the screen. They're pretty simple. This is God's general will for your life. So this is how we are to operate and stand up strong in a world that doesn't understand us and that ultimately we aren't meant to understand. We're supposed to pray. The Bible tells us to pray all the time, to pray continuously, to pray about the big things and to pray about the small things. We're supposed to be in his word. Why? Because how are we supposed to have a relationship with somebody that we don't know? And the only way to get to know him is to get into his word. The Bible is a gift to us. Read it. We're supposed to be involved with the church, the big church. The church is not a building that you go to that has a fancy name or a slogan. The church is a movement that the moment you said yes to Jesus, you've chosen to be a part of. It's his body that is changing this world as it interacts with those that are lost. Jesus came to seek and save those, and now he uses us to be about his business, which I have no idea why he chooses to do such a thing, but I'm grateful for it. We're called to share our faith. Look, in, in his gospels, it tells us to go and make disciples. It doesn't just say that for people that have the pastor of title, or the, t <laughs> the title of pastor. My goodness. Oh. He calls us to share our faith. Go and make disciples. Look, he gave you a story. Your story's different than my story. Tell it. It's all about him. He's crafted it into your heart, and he's given you a community to share it with. He calls us to serve, to meet the needs of those around us, whether that's with our money or our time. He calls us to give because we've received so much. We give back generously. And then he gives us some things that we should not do, like those meats and that wine that Daniel and his friends weren't meant to eat, we have those things in the world that we live in. They look different, but those moments where we're conflicted, where we're trying to decide, do I choose comfort or do I choose character? If you're feeling iffy about it, err on the side of caution. Lean into the character that God is building in your life. He's writing a story right now. Embrace it as you live in a world that isn't meant for you to live in forever because he's got something great for you on the other side. Let me pray.
Lord God, man, you are so good. Ah, I thank you for your word. I thank you for tonight. I thank you for moments where we could laugh together, but I, I thank you for the moments where we learn together. I thank you for your will for our lives, that you're writing a story today and tomorrow and the next. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to be bold for you in a world that we truly do not understand. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.